Hello everyone and welcome back to Vet Chats where we help veterans share their awesome stories and help make the veteran community a better place. I hope you'll stay tuned to hear how this generation is continuing their service. Also, Vet Chats is now available on Reese Across America Radio. You can hear us at Monday at 9 p.m. and Saturday at 3 p.m. They have a ton of great veteran content that I know you'll appreciate. You can find them um, at the iHeart app, Odyssey, or at their website. And finally, the Veteran Workbook is available. The best way to get that is through the link in my bio. Hello, everybody. How is everybody doing? I hope you guys had a great weekend, maybe a long weekend if you have tomorrow off. Um... Well, anyhow, let's get into it. We have a great guest tonight. He is from season one of Vet Chats. Way back when, almost three years ago, Bill Fulton came on. He's an Army veteran. Um, he turned an Army veteran turned FBI agent. He spent more than a decade running an Army surplus store in Alaska, and um, now he lives off the land with his family, and he's recently, well, he's about to, he's published this book, but it's about to drop in November. So I'm excited to have him on to talk about his background and what he's up to now. So I see he's requesting, so let's get Bill on. All right, just accepted. Should see him on any second. There we go. Hey, Bill. Hey, Jenna. I can't see you, but you can see me, so I guess that works. Are do you are you using the back of the phone, or why can't you see me? I, I no, I'm using the front of the phone. I have no idea why it's not showing you, but that's okay. That's strange. Um, well, as long as you can hear my voice, I think that's good. Maybe it'll maybe it'll fix itself throughout the live. Maybe it will. You yeah. got you got love tech. There we go. So how, how was your weekend? My weekend was good. My weekend was good. I, I made sushi, just finished making butter right before this. It was good. Wow. You know, I'm so, every time I go on Instagram and I'm scrolling through and I see something you posted, like a nice looking cheeseburger or some sort of dessert, I'm just like, wow, <laughs> this guy is living the life. And it's all homemade stuff. And it, it just looks amazing. <laughs> so. I, I like. Uh oh! It said you're unable to join. Okay. So someone said we could. They can see us both. I don't know. Can you hear me? Maybe we ha we might have to restart this. Can you guys see me, me and Bill, or do you just see me? Because I see myself, and then I see Bill frozen. I wonder if everything froze or if it's just me, because I still have people joining. Nope, not anymore, Bill's gone. Okay, let me try to request him. Thank you so much for letting me know. Okay, we'll, we'll invite him back on. Maybe that'll work. Otherwise, if, if not, we can start this over. Yeah, I don't know why he's still stuck on my screen, even though it, It might be his network connection. Yeah. Oh, this is a bummer. Okay, we'll give him a few more minutes. See if it's still 
Set the invite one more time. I'm sorry, guys, for these technical, but we'll get through it. We're going to be right back on. Um, all right. That, that Vermont internet. <laughs> yes. Yes, Bill's way up there. Is it working? There, you're back. Yeah, you're not, you're still not showing up. I don't know what's going on with IG tonight. I don't know. Do you normally have issues with your connection? Someone said that Vermont internet. Nope, not normally. I'm blaming you for this one. I think we can both blame IG. There we go. That's a great scapegoat. I so like that. If I drop again, I'll just come back in. All right, sounds good. I'll try to keep the conversation going or, or prevent that dead air. But, um, well, anyhow, let's get into it while it's working. So you were in the Army. I want to – we got to refresh everyone because it's been two years since we had you on. And, you know, even I forget your whole story. So – I think last time you had me on, I was down in D.C. for uh, Biden's inauguration, and we were talking about the Blood of Patriots, which was my biography. Yes, yes, that's right. That's right. So we focus more on that, but I'd like to know. So when when did you join and what did you join for? What was your job in the army? No, I joined in 1992 and my job was I was in the infantry. Yeah, that was smart. <laughs> hey, everyone's got to start somewhere. I mean, hey, I was 17 years old. They were like, "Yeah, you could like do computers and stuff, but who wants to do that? You want to jump out of airplanes and shoot people. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Right. It didn't continue to sound great, you know, as my body aged, but at 17, it was a great idea. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like, you know, recruiting was so easy back then because <laughs> you could make any that sound really cool, but you didn't have the internet to be able to look it up and see what it actually was. Yup. So yes. spent eight years on active duty, um, got out, uh, started a, got out on a medical, um, back, knees, and ankles, go figure, infantry. Um, got out, started a security company that eventually grew into a military surplus store. Um, from there, you know the story of the Blood of Patriots, ended up working undercover with the FBI, big case up there. Ended up working with them for the next 10 years. And that, that leads us to today. Wow. So so I wanted to go back a little on your time as in the military surplus store. Yeah. I think it's very relative to your book that you just came out with. What exactly is that? What's a military surplus store? Who's, who's your main customer? So... so I mean, our main customers up in Alaska were people that lived in the bush, people that were coming to Alaska on vacation, service members, of course, and then um, people who, you know, wanted body armor to put in their bunkers with their 18 pallets of food for when the lizard people came. <laughs> is there a lot of those in Alaska? There might, might be, yeah. I mean, it is the end of the road as they say. Right, right. If you're trying to get away from civilization, that's where you go. So, Which is what made it such a great place to do bounty hunting. But that's the old book. We're not going to talk too much about that. <laughs> yes. Um, and 
So speaking of military folks, is there a lot of bases up there? Yeah, um, there's Fort Richardson, Elmendorf, uh, Fort Greeley. Uh, missile defense is up there. Um, Fort Wainwright. Like, there's military bases everywhere in Alaska. Okay. Wow. And and so you would, you know, where would you get this stuff from, or how, how did that work? And, I know it's, there's a whole market for yeah, it. Yeah, uh, we get it surplus from the government at auctions. Of course, you were in the service. You know that uh, people acquire excess um, equipment and material, and um, then people need those things. So we worked as the conduit between those two. Um, so we acquired it that way. And then we also went out and made relationships with civilian companies that stocked gear that we wanted to stock in the store. Okay, gotcha. And what got you interested in that in particular? Um, so we were already doing like a security company with a bunch of veterans and I wanted to do more. And since I was in the infantry, of course, I always had a lot of excess gear. And with the, the large military population up there, you know, I knew that there were guys that were trying to out-process that didn't have the gear that they needed. Um, so it, it was just natural to open the store up. And we were all vets, so we already had the connections in the community and everything. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And what, um, were there any big storms or can you recall any big disasters that happened where that stuff really came it, handy? It's Alaska. So stuff like that was happening all the time. And plus we did some um, emergency response work and stuff up there. So we were always using that stuff. Um, that's also the time that I went out and got all my disaster response and FEMA certifications and all that. So, yeah, use it all the time. Yeah, I mean, definitely, if there's any place, it, it's going to be up there. Oh, yeah. And um, so now you're in Vermont. How would you compare the two? Well, it's nice to be down here where it's warm. Um, and, and, you know, Vermont isn't the end of the road. People are here because this is where they want to be, not because this is where they have to be. So um, that's that's a little different. But other than that, I, I mean, it's all people. They're all the same pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, still, I feel like people, like you say Vermont's warmer. Most people would say that's colder, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but you know when you we, when you move from an environment that you know it's sixty degrees below zero during the winter to an environment where it only gets like twenty degrees below zero during the winter, you're stepping up in the world. Yes, yeah, you really are. Not as much snow either, right? No, actually, more snow. Okay, because Just... it's warmer. Um, you get to a certain point in cold weather, and it actually stops snowing because it's too cold to snow. Oh, you don't get any precipitation. No. So, you know, down down south here, there's actually more snow than up there, which is really weird when you think about it, but you get to a you get to about 10 20 degrees below zero, it just stops snowing. That makes a lot of 
sense. Wait, so I was just arguing with my husband about something in Australia and we looked up how much snow Australia gets and I thought like everywhere would get snow, but do, I don't know if you know this, but do they not get snow because it's so cold down there? Um, you mean Antarctica? No, Australia, like the lower part of it. Um, maybe. I, I mean, I, I, I have never looked into that, but I will look into it and get back to you, I swear. <laughs> I'm on it, Jenna. I'm on it. I'm I'm the one with the background in weather. I should know a little. The big more survival it. questions. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, <laughs> you're the person to ask. Um, so after, so now in Vermont, you live off the land, and I have a, you have a farm. small, sustainable, holistic farm up here. Um, I wouldn't say I'd live off the land. I'd say I'm about <clears throat> 85, 90% someplace in there. So we're getting there. <clears throat> but it's more about, you know, for me, that sustainable self-sufficiency. And, and uh, it's kind of why I wrote the book. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, if, if you read the book, the whole theme in the book is pretty much be sustainable be self-sufficient because when things do happen they don't affect you as much right right or at least know those skills or have some sort of yeah plan. and you know over the long term you know we're we're working on um three more books to go along with this one right now one on gardening uh one on food preservation and one on foraging so we really want to give people the skills that they need to have that self-sufficiency. And mm -hmm. I think that's what was lacking um, out, you know, in the genre, is that there were a lot of books that were like, buy ammo, build a bunker. Mm -hmm. And people don't really need to do that, you know. Yeah. What they have is they have floods and they have earthquakes and they have droughts and they have all these other things and wildfires that's what people need help preparing for and you and i both know that you know the government goes to the least common denominator which ends up being not information that anyone needs because if you don't already know that you probably don't even know how to look at a computer so th there's not much on the government side information wise and then on the other side of that where there is information it's really tainted to kind of this you know fear-based be right. afraid type of like disaster preparedness and it, that's kind of I, during covid is when i had a lot of friends calling me because they knew that i was kind of a prepper and everybody was freaking out and i was like dude, dude chill out I'll send you a case of toilet paper. It's going to be okay. Stay at home. And they were like, well, you know, I read this book and it said this, or I went to this website. And I was like, the, those people are making money off your fear. Just slow down. You're going to be okay. Yeah. And I figured out after about the 20th phone call like that, that there just wasn't much out there that was like practical advice on what to do in these situations that wasn't, you know, trying to sell you something 
or trying to scare you into losing your mind absolutely and becoming a member of some weird survivalist cult in North Carolina. So that's that's that was the impetus for writing the book was like i want to write a a disaster preparedness book for like normal people right right because you see whenever you even mention prepping you just get that image in your head of who that would be what what are they thinking what are they scared of and and you're right. When someone's trying to sell you on fear, you you just gotta you gotta turn the other way yeah. because it's. But in disasters, oftentimes that's the only thing that people have to turn to. Yeah. And 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 that causes you know that doesn't just cause bad reactions um, during the disaster itself. It's not good for your mental health, you know. But but feeling that you're empowered, that you you can handle what's going on, or at least you can do something. That's huge in a disaster situation. You and I both know, after being in the military, 90% of any um, emergency that you end up with is going to be mental. Right. It's going to be how you deal with that mentally while it's going on. And even in the book, we take, I, I think there's like a whole half chapter just on mental health. Oh, that's, that's not something you would see in the normal <laughs> No, you know, and it's it's something that's so often ignored um, that, like, I mean, we recommend like you know having games to play, things to keep you occupied, taking time out to do a little meditation, just things to keep that stress level down and to keep your your mental space around you and to be present in the moment and feel like you, you can actually do something. And I think during COVID, a lot of people just felt so hope, helpless and they didn't know what to do. And they, did, they were getting conflicting advice. And I think that's one of the reasons that we, we saw the pushback from that that we did. And you know, I, I think it's important moving forward as we talk about emergency preparedness and disasters with, you know, natural disasters are increasing exponentially every year now that we we keep talking about the mental health aspect because it, your mind's 90% of it. What you know is the other 10%. Yes, and it's, it's so hard when you're in that situation to not think about the future and you mentioned being more present and trying to just you know focus on today but it's hard when you're in that survival mode because you're constantly thinking of the future what can i be doing now so tomorrow's yeah. not like this and and how to get out of that um well it's amazing what do you think? how many veterans are actually into disaster preparedness and survival i was just and I was talking to that. <laughs> last week about it and he was like another veteran, another you know guy that's into prepping, and you know it, it's we go all over the world. We see countries and places that have gone from completely normal, you know, to absolutely out of their minds within matters of weeks. Sometimes um, we do the disaster response, so we're there responding to these things. So I think with veterans, we come from a perspective of, of, okay, we've seen that, so we don't want that to be part of our lives. Mm, that, yes. And I 
think that's what drives so many veterans to to that. But, but again, like, like there's a healthy way and there's the non-healthy way. And that's kind of what we're trying to explain in the book is like growing a garden is a great way to prep against inflation. It's a great way to feed your family. Uh, you can prep against job loss. Like to be able to produce your own food is huge. Mm -hmm. And there's all sorts of things that can happen that can mess with the food chain, as we know during COVID with all the bare shelves and everything. So <clears throat> instead of being worried and you know stocking up 800 cases of MREs in your closet, which anyone that's been in knows that MREs are not the the best thing in the world. But you know, you can you can have a few MREs, but maybe you should have a garden. Oh, and by the way, gardening lowers your blood pressure, and gardening makes you be present, and gardening does all these great mental health things too. So we're trying to teach people to like be more self-sufficient so that when the disaster does hit you're gonna be okay mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely and and i i like how in the book you always you kind of put it on a scale like you mentioned if people are in an apartment what they could do instead um and because a lot of these a lot of people picture something like this or making a garden you know you have to have a lot of land or if you have on a farm um how did you how did you kind of think of ways that people could do this in an apartment so i went out and talked to like urban vegetable farmers and i went out and talked to a lot of different companies that make things uh for urban gardening and you know, we found out that you can you, you can do like bookshelf aquaponics where you, you're growing fish that you can eat and vegetables in a unit the size of a bookshelf. So there's or and, and you know, you can power that off a solar panel stuck to your window. So there's all sorts of things you can do. Um, and, and we wanted to make sure that everybody understood that no matter what your situation is, there's always things you can do to be more self-sufficient, always. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you're in a studio apartment or a 40-acre farm like I am. So I didn't want to write the book for me because people like me are already pretty self-sufficient. I wanted to write the book for that person that's in an apartment in New York a couple weeks ago with floodwaters going underneath. That's who we're writing this book for. Yes. And I feel like that is never the target audience. And that's, that's so important because those are going to be the people most affected when disaster does hit. Um, oh, oh, absolutely. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Kind of going back to the veteran thing. Another thing I thought of, um, do you think it could be just mistrust of government as well? And in the wanting to be self-sufficient? Nah, I, I mean, I, I'm not saying that there's not a lot of vets that mistrust the government, <laughs> but I, 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 I don't think so. I, I mean, there's there's a certain point, at least that I got to after my first few initial years of getting out and completely mistrusting the government, where you just begin to understand that the government isn't necessarily bad. 
It's just really bad at what it does. So <laughs> I would Yes, yeah, you've seen you've seen the inner workings and so you know that when a disaster hits, it's it's unlikely. Yeah. It's it's unlikely that that they're going to show up or if that they do show up that they're going to show up with the right thing. Um and, and that's not government's fault. Governments are bureaucracy and bureaucracies are great at planning projects that take 50 years. They're not so great at emergency response. Yes. And, and it's why, you know, our military works as well as it does because we have that lower echelon decision-making process inside the military, which allows us to immediately deal with emerging crises versus the rest of the government, which is absolutely top-down bureaucracy. I'm not saying the military is not a top-down bureaucracy, but when those emergencies arise, it, it definitely allows lower echelon um, decision-making. Yes. So. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, the government's um, it's a little more reactive than proactive, and for stuff like this, you have to be proactive. Well, I I think, you know, regardless of what your politics are on climate change, it's happening. So I think as climate change continues and we have more and more of these disasters as, as we're seeing happen and more things happen, um, more people are getting affected by this stuff. And it, it's really about understanding, you know, where you're at what your vulnerabilities are, just like any threat assessment we would do in the military, what are your vulnerabilities and how do we mitigate against those? Mm -hmm. And that's what this book is. This book is a, is a lot more disaster mitigation than it is, you know, what to do. I mean, I mean, we, there's a lot in there about what to do when a disaster happens. But we talk a lot about what to do before a disaster happens. And we talk about what to do after it happens, too. So, you know, one of the things in the book that, that we put in there was this after disaster happens, you need to assess how well you did. That anyone from the military pretty much knows that we just told them to do an, uh, an after action review. Mm -hmm. So... You know, we, we want people to be prepared before it happens, be able to weather it well, and then after it's done, look back and see where they can improve. Yeah, that's how you find out by reviewing, you know, what went wrong, what were your weak spots, yeah. like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, go ahead. No, you go. Oh, um, so you wrote this book with someone. Could you explain kind of your relationship with her? With Jeannie? Yeah. Jeannie's yeah. awesome. Um, Jeannie was a reporter that I ended up, um, she she didn't mean to, but she insulted my mom at one point. So I ended up getting in touch with her during the criminal trials to ask her to retract that. Um, she wrote The Blood of Patriots with me which, you know, we've been friends for years after that. When I had the idea on this book, Jeannie um, was up in Alaska for years and years, all over the state, did 
tons she, she ended up in tons of survival situations as anyone does in alaska so um you know there was nobody else that wanted to write this book with me and also after the blood of patriots she's pretty much able to speak bill to paper so she's inside my brain so it was really really easy to do this um and, and plus, plus i if i wrote the book you know um i'd have kindergartners going in and checking my spelling so <laughs> there's reasons i use genie but genie's awesome i love it yeah yeah that's that's a great point seems like we all need a genie someone that speaks our inner dialogue <laughs> yeah yeah and and you know she's able to pull out most of the profanity so there you all go. I to she makes me socially acceptable yes yeah and so she's did you know her when you were in alaska no um <clears throat> well we worked in the same circles but because i was doing the counter the counter domestic terrorism and she was a reporter um we were on opposite sides of those circles because she didn't know that I was working undercover and she was annoying to me because she would write about stuff and I would be like please don't write about that we're trying to put these people in prison so yeah it, yeah wow. we worked in the same areas but I don't think we ever actually met each other yeah until wow. she insulted my mom it was kind of like the cat and mouse um, yeah. Are you able to talk about that at all? Or yeah, I mean, I can. Okay. Why? Why did your mom? How did your mom get in the mix? Oh, so um, there was uh, undercover recording playing at the trial, and I, I I was cussing, like cussing a blue streak, and she put something <clears throat> in her article because she was reporting on the trial about me being raised by wolves or something and my mom was like <clears throat> sent me an email and was like you need to talk to that reporter i raised you right the army did that to you they gave you that mouth you know talk to her and i was like really mom like i'm in, I'm in the middle of a trial i can't and she's like no 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 you will you will talk to that young lady so I called her up and I'm like, hey, can you change your article? This is Bill Fulton. And she's like, this isn't Bill Fulton. You know, you're, 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 you're under witness protection, whatever. And she hung up on me. So then I had to call her back and then I had to prove it was me. And then she finally believed me. And then I guaranteed her an interview after the trial if she retracted her statement out of her article. So that's how we met. Wow, that is one crazy way to meet someone. She insulted my mom and then hung up on me. Been yeah, best I mean, your friend since. Your mom's she wasn't taking that. No, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's a good origin story. It is. It is. It's one that I haven't heard of before. So that is a good one. Um, and so what? What was the point? Or both of you did you came up with this idea and she was like all right let's do it yeah or what, i came what up was with really i came up with it during covid okay uh, well yeah pretty much the last quarter of the covid lockdown 
So I called my agent and I was like, hey, we should do this. And he's like, yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. He's like, but, you know, um, do you have a proposal written? And I was like, are, are you serious? You want me to write? You remember what happened the last time you asked me to write? He was like, oh, well, we should then find you a co-author. And I was like, well, I'll just ask Jeannie. And Jeannie was available, and we got it done. There you go. So, I mean, it was pretty easy. Yeah. And, and considering that my agent's wife was one of the people who kept calling me during COVID, it, it, it was, you know, fairly, uh, he was on board too. too. Yeah. I was going to say, it, it would make sense to them as well. And how did you come up with, um, did you start with like an outline first of what you absolutely needed in the book? And where was the first place you started? So I kind of started with like, well, kind of how we started this when I started talking about the book and I was like, I wanted something that was going to empower people and that wasn't going to be all doom and gloom and fear-based. So that's kind of how I started it from. Um, that was like, hey, I, I want to give people skill sets so that they're not afraid so that if COVID happens again and they're locked down and the grocery stores are empty, that they're going to be okay. And they're going to feel like they're okay. And so that's, that was the whole base that the book started off of. And then we were like, you know, if you look, the, the book's kind of arranged with the, the big priorities first, you know, food, water, shelter, that type of thing. Yeah. So we were like, okay, what what are your basic needs? Let's get those out of the way first. This is how we deal with food. This is how we deal with water, you know, and, and then let's look at shelter and let's look at security and some first aid and some mental health. And it just kind of grew organically, you know, like, like what are your base needs? And then what are your needs on top of that? And then if you look towards the end of the book is when we actually start talking about specific disasters, we're having to take action in a disaster. And we kind of did that on purpose so that we're building you up before we get to anything that's like, hey, th this is potentially bad. So let's talk this part out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, it, it was definitely it was definitely built on the idea that we want people to be empowered in their own self sufficiency. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And you definitely you get that um, from this book. Um, and and we, I like we hope to grow on that. You know, we hope we hope to get that gardening book out there and the foraging book and and keep giving people skill sets that just aren't out there anymore. Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. Um, and you kind of break them down. It's really digestible, I feel like, when you're looking through it. Um, so my husband's really big into, like, he's tried canning. He has his own garden. And I'm always wondering what he's doing. Um, but going through this and reading, I'm like, oh, that's what he was doing. Okay, he was. That's how he was canning them or fermenting something. So, mm -hmm. so I, I easily understood it. Um, 
Yeah, I, li I liked how you did that. And there's a lot of pictures, which is always a bonus. Um, did you draw those? No, no. Uh, I hired a, a um, young lady in um, college to draw those. Okay. Yeah, those are, they're very easy and it just gives a visual, especially when you're writing, when you're writing a book on stuff like that, something so hands-on and um, even when you're talking about the water filtration and, uh, you know, if I wouldn't have a, a, an image for it, it would be hard. Oh, there's to no way you could do it. Picture. Yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, that's, you, you have the pre-release copy that'll all be color and nice and stuff in, in the, in the, the actual release release copy. But, you know, we, we didn't want to put too many pictures in because a lot of these do pictures over information and we want to kind of strike a balance um, in how many pictures we put in versus how much information we were putting in. And we were actually planning on expanding on a lot of those with some YouTube videos and stuff so that people can go and reference back to like YouTube and look at the video and go, okay, that's what they're talking about. And, you know, as we put more books out there on specifics, we'll kind of drill down into those specific areas. Um, so that's like the gardening book. We're going to, there's going to be, you know, like, four or five pictures on how to build different gardening beds or, you know, what different things should look like. And so we'll be getting more specific as we go along, but we tried to keep this general, but still useful, which was hard. Like cutting it back was really hard. Yes. Yeah. How did you know that, that fine line between too much information or maybe too technical? Um, versus what people could understand. We bounced it off our friends. Oh. So all my friends that called me during COVID that were asking for advice got the reverse phone call. Oh, there you go. We, just, we bounced it off everyone we knew. We asked them questions. We asked a lot of people, like, what do you want to know? What do you need to know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and do you feel like like why aren't people like our our food system, of course it's changed so much, but you know, and a lot of this could have been passed down from our grandparents, but what what's like the major factor as why people aren't learning these skills anymore? Cuz there's a lot of basic skills in here that I realize that I didn't even know about. Well, and, and that's one of the reasons why we want to write lo loads of the books is to like make it a basic skill library because so many people just don't have those anymore. What I think happened is we all got busy and caught up and forgot that it's not always going to be there. I mean, if you look at what happened during COVID, like everybody all of a sudden learned how to make sourdough bread and there were people growing gardens and there were people canning and like a, a lot of these people when they weren't distracted by an hour and a half commute to work every day when they had the time to be home when they figured out that, that you know hey this isn't available at the store this is kind of freaking me out a lot of people went out and started trying to do that again 
So I, I think it's just that life got too busy and it got too convenient. And we just thought it was always going to be that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there might be like, it, that's intentional by systems that we do rely on them oh, to make it. Yeah, so absolutely. Buying. <laughs> I, I mean, if you look at some of these corporate board meetings, you know, we've been talking about inflation a lot lately with groceries and food and everything. And they're like, well, it's not inflation based. We're just making huge profits, but they're going to pay it anyway because they want our gidget and they can't get it any other way. There are so many people in our country that literally can't be self-sufficient, just can't. They, They don't have the knowledge to do it. And those companies have done that on purpose and they prey on it. Mm-hmm. And normally, when you're making enough money and things are okay, it's not really something you need to think about. But when you have an economic crisis or a natural disaster, and those things aren't on the store shelves or you can't afford them, then it becomes a really big issue. Mm-hmm. And and the more people that have those skill sets, the better off we're all going to be as a society. And the more self-sufficient we, we all are. Because that makes not just us self-sufficient, but our communities more self-sufficient. And, yeah. And I, I, I kind of like to use the example of, like, microgrids. So if everybody has their own solar panels and you have microgrids, right, it doesn't matter if the town next to you has a natural disaster. You guys aren't losing power. As a matter of fact, you can give power to them. But if we're all on interconnected grids, like most of the country is now, when that place has a problem, we all have a problem. When Mm -hmm. one storm knocks down a a tree that goes on some power lines, you have 10,000 people without power instead of having one person without power. So as we become more self-sufficient and as we demand self-sufficiency in our communities, we become more resilient against these things. Mm-hmm. And then even if the disaster affects us, it means the people next to us can help us. If the disaster affects the community next to us, it means we can help them. And that's not just in power production. That's in food production. It's it, it's in everything. And we're not, you know, survive and thrive isn't just talking about the individual. We talk a lot about community in there. And we want to foster more self-sufficient communities. And the great thing is that as you become more self-sufficient, you become more sustainable, which means cleaner water, less CO2 in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. There's all, all sorts of benefits to keeping it more local and more self-sufficient, not just on your level, but on your community level and even on your state level. And breaking it down to that lowest echelon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. I I was thinking about that a lot lately. You know, it's so great that we're we're all connected and, you know, you can reach people. Like, you're in Vermont right now. Mm -hmm. I'm in Maryland. You know, there's so many benefits. But also, you know, it it is taking us away from our communities and how we were so connected, like, with our neighbors and, you know, reliant on them. I know 
there are a lot of places that are, but, but yeah, there's pros and cons to that. Um, so we, there are pros and cons to it, but like, you know, I talk a lot, you know, you've seen my posts where I post my food. Like I get a lot of things from my neighbors because they produce things that I don't produce just food wise. Mm -hmm. And I trade with them what I produce extra yeah. for, for what I need. And we're able to essentially, between about eight of us within a one-mile stretch of road, um, take care of like 90% of everyone's food. Oh, that's so cool. And that's not like, a, hey, we're, we're, we're going to go live in a commune and, you know. Right, or, right. <laughs> it's different. It, it, it's literally just all of us going, oh, hey, Gary grows cows. I don't need to grow cows. Yeah. I'll, I'll grow chickens. I'll trade chickens and eggs to Gary for milk and beef. It, it's that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're not, because a lot of people, you know, when I start talking, they're like, oh, you want to do communes? And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> what I want to do are, are communities that are sustainable and self sufficient. Mm -hmm. I want more people to be able to go to their neighbors and trade your excess for theirs and for both of you to know, even if you live in an apartment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we are coming up on time. Uh, so I want to, I want to um, make sure that people know where they can get this book when, when it comes out, all that good stuff. Book comes out, out November 7th. So pretty much a month from today. Um, you can get it at Borders. I'm not Borders. Barnes & Noble. Shows you how old I am. Barnes & Noble. <laughs> Amazon. Um, there's Harper. Uh, Collins is my publisher. Awesome people. Uh, there's the Survive and Thrive on Harper Collins website that you can go to that will show you uh, which retailers have it. Um, your local bookstore uh, should have it in stock. And please, please, please pre-order it because all pre-orders count to launch day sales. So yes. that, it, it's a big deal. If you're going to get the book, pre-order it. And it's close enough to Christmas, you can give it away as Christmas presents. Like, Yeah, that's a good one. That's a great one for in-laws or for anybody, really. And we do have have some products that are in development that will be coming out here shortly too. Like, could you give any examples? Like gardening tools and just stuff like that. You know, stuff that we talk about in the book. Okay. Where, where we couldn't find products that were good enough or sustainable enough um for us in 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 the market so we're going to be developing a lot of stuff in-house it, it appears very cool and that development depends on book sales so so go buy the book if you want the cool gardening tools there you go and do you have the link in your bio or anywhere um i i think i've linked it everywhere but yeah i, I do have the link in my bio and <clears throat> tons of posts on my page about it and yeah but if you can't find it, hit me up, DM me, ask me questions. I always, always respond unless I'm making jewelry. Then, then it takes me a few days. 
<laughs> there you go. Well, Bill, thank you so much for coming back on Vet Chats. Appreciate thank you. Thank you for having me. You are my first live interview on this book. Hey, I'm, I'm honored to yeah. do that. And I'm, I'm excited for you. I really, I, I you out first this time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Well, I want to thank everyone who joined the live or if you're catching the replay or if you're listening on the radio, I hope you enjoyed. Oh, and stay um, tuned for book signings. Dates are coming out now. Oh, anywhere on the East Coast or? Yep. It's all over the East Coast. We have, um, I, I think we have uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Burlington, Vermont. I know we're booking Boston. I think we're getting Montreal, and uh, we're working our way down to New York City, and hopefully we'll get one in D.C. There, there you go. That is so cool. Congratulations on that. That's thank awesome. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you all have a great week. And, yeah, check out, check out the book. One, one more time. I'll show it. i show it. There you go. Check it out. Woo! All right. Good night, everyone. Thanks, Jenna. Good night. Bye, Bill.